After the successful surprise attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, after the massive crippling of our naval forces there in the Pacific, and after really showing that the United States forces were not invincible, and as the Japanese were joyfully celebrating such a tremendous great victory, it is reported that Japanese Admiral Yamamoto wrote in his diary later that evening, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. This morning, I wonder what it would take for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ to be roused from its slumber and to stand again with great resolve. I wonder what it would take for the church today to exist and to stand as the church that Christ has intended. Today in our study of the the book of Acts, as we continue our study of the, the actual history of the formation of the church, our message this morning is entitled, Snapshot of a Radical Church. Snapshot of a Radical Church. We're in Acts chapter 4, today verses 32 through 35. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word, snapshot of a radical church. Beginning in verse 32, God's word says this, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today, we are thankful for you. I'm thankful for a risen Savior, for a resurrected Savior. Lord, I'm thankful for a new song that is in our heart, a a new heart really to sing out of. And it all came to the finished work of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we have gathered today that we have been encouraged. More than that, that we've been a blessing to you and to your name. And I pray now, Lord, as as we begin to study your word, I pray that that it would be a supernatural event. Lord, I pray that it would be you, the the living and powerful God, that would speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray as your church that we would be instructed. Lord, I pray as, as your church that we would be equipped. Lord, I pray if need be, we would be convicted and changed. But I pray we would not leave this hour the same, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray in the fruit of all that's two things. I pray for any lost person that is here today, that today in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might put their faith, their trust in you for eternal salvation. And Lord, I pray that the fruit also would be that you would be greatly glorified, that the the fruit of our praises, the fruit of our study would be the name of Jesus, would be greatly exalted. Lord, we ask that you move. We turn this over to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. As we have progressed in our study of the the book of Acts, 
I continue to be impressed, and it's every single week that, that I'm impressed with the idea that this is for a reason. This, this time in our church, this study that we're in, it is for a specific reason. And I continue to be impressed that God is instructing us in the last days of the church. And listen, that's what I believe we're in. I believe we are in the last days of the church. I believe he is instructing us in the last days of the church by looking at these, the first days of the church. And I want us to be very aware that just as in those first days, there were some intense days, that in these last days, there are again gonna be some intense days. I want us to be very aware that just as in those first days, the church was hated and the church was persecuted. I want us to be sure and be aware that in these last days of the church, that we are again gonna be hated, that we are again going to be persecuted. And more than that, I want us to be very aware even this morning. I want us to be ready that just as in those first days, that church was vital to the plan of God. That today in these last days, that the church also is oh so vital to the plan of God. You see, I don't think we get that. You see, I, I, I really don't see much urgency in that today. I watch and I, I see the church today and I, I think the church really is this, this in our perception is this nice thing. And it's full of nice people who come and it looks like every third or fourth Sunday they come to hear a nice sermon. That maybe that nice sermon will help us progress as we move along in our nice lives. And I'm afraid, friends, that we're missing the truth. Listen, that time is running out, that Jesus is coming again, and that those outside of a, of a relationship with Christ, they will be lost, they will perish. And I think we've lost sight of the fact that it is the job of the church to broadcast the saving gospel of Jesus Christ that they might be saved. Listen, these are vital days for the church. These are important days for the church. Be sure and understand that. As I read these verses of the first church, I see it unfolding again. These are necessary, vital, important days for the church. Do you feel that? Do you know that? These are vital days for the church of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you today, are you living in light of that? Is your commitment reflective of that? These are vital days for the church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get busy with life. Sometimes we, we get our minds on a one-track thing and we're looking at other things. Did you know that the enemies of the church today, today are introducing laws to restrict the freedom of the church today. Do you know the, the enemies of the church are introducing laws in our nation, in our land, restricting the message of the church today? You can't say that. Do you know the enemies of the church today are labeling it as, as hateful? The church is considered hateful and intolerant. That is the message that is being taught today. Do you know, maybe most sad, 
that today's studies say most young adult Americans, those from their upper teens to their mid-30s, see the church as insignificant, irrelevant to their lives. And yet these are vital days for the church. I want us to be aware of that. I want us to see that. Listen, this isn't about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It is about the mission that Christ has given us. These are vital days in the church. Listen, those outside of Christ will perish. These are vital days for the church. I want that urgency to sit with us as we walk out of here today. These are vital days for the church. Necessary days, important days for the church. Today in our verses, we're going to see a pretty awesome picture. And I read those verses, and I first, about a week and a half ago, I think, I don't know what's, what's in these verses, but I want you to see there is a pretty awesome picture here in our verses today. Now, let me explain that. In the context where we find these four, these four verses today, the church has started. We read that Jesus ascends. He tells them to go wait there in the upper room, and the church has started, and that's where the account starts. We also see that the church has been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells those believers, and thus the church is a supernatural thing. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We also see that in the church, the, the proclaiming, the preaching of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward. And we see these accounts, we've read a couple of them, where, where Peter preaches and John preaches the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And God is working through his church. Already in these four chapters, there's been thousands added to the church and a multitude added to the church and people are hearing the good news and lives are being changed and God is working in his church. Now I read that and I think, man, that, that had to be something. That has to be the buzz there in Jerusalem as, as, as the outworkings are moving out and as the, the gospel is going out and, and folks are converted and they hear the truth and the truth makes sense to them and they receive the truth. What an awesome time to be a part of the church. And in the midst of that, we find this four-verse description of the church. So it is, it is an awesome time in the church. There is a movement of God through the church. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And then now there is this four-verse description of the church, really a snapshot of the church. Well, I believe that is awesome because we here in the last days of the church can look to that example we today, in the last days of the church, we can see the, the church as it forms. We can see the picture of this church, of the church in its powerful first days. And we're going to see in this picture five things. Five things in this, in this picture, this snapshot of the church. Now, I picked a word to describe them. Now, this is my word. This is my take. But I picked a word to describe really this entire church, but the five things that we're going to pull out of the picture. And the word that I picked, the word that I chose is the word radical. Radical is defined as being extreme in nature. It is differing 
from the norm. There's the norm, there's the normal, and it is differing from that. Synonyms are fanatical, crazy, even, get this, rabid, rabid. Radical is defined as being extreme in nature. Now, I want you to be very sure today, the church at its start was a radical thing. It was a radical thing. It was an extreme thing. We think, well, it's this nice little grouping of people. No, it was an extreme thing. It was a drastic deviation from the norm. They're persecuted because it's so radical. They're hated because it is so radical. The church is a radical, extreme thing. Now, I want you to hear this, and I want you to be very sure of it. In these last days, while the world says to us, conform, conform, fit in, fit in, compromise, compromise, conform, I want you to understand the church is going to again have to exist as a radical thing. As the world says, you know what? You're supposed to look like this and these are the words that you can say and these are the things that you can do. Conform, conform, conform. The church again is gonna have to be a radical extreme thing if it's gonna endure. I'm gonna read the verses again. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to pull out the five pieces of our snapshot. Five pieces of a radical church. All right, listen as I read verses 32 through 35 again. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for, they were who, for all who were owners of land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, what in the world is that talking about? What is this picture of? I want you to see the five pieces of this radical church. First thing is this. The church was made up of people with a radical faith. That's the first thing we see. That's the first thing we pull out of this picture. The church is made up of people with a radical faith. Verse 32 says, and the congregation of those who believed. Now, do not miss that, of those who believed. Now, the word believed, it translates, were persuaded. Now, the congregation of those who were persuaded, it translates, thinks to be true. The congregation of those who think to be true. Another, another simple definition, translation, is has faith. The congregation of those who have believed. It's a, it's a grouping of those who have believed. Now, what did they believe? They believed Jesus, the man from Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene. They believed he is the Messiah. 
They believe that he is the promised Christ. Now, I don't, I don't know that we understand how heavy that was in their culture. They believe Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior sent from God. That's what it means. It's not some light thing we'll print on a Christmas card. It means that God has sent the Savior promised and Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, he is the Christ. They believed that he was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophets' writings. When they were writing, when they were speaking of the one that would come, they were speaking of him. Isaiah was speaking of him. Jeremiah was speaking of him. All of these Old Testament prophets, all of their writings, the one they were talking about, what they're saying is, we believe Jesus the Nazarene, he is the Christ. They believe that in that, that he lived a life of no sin. They understood what it was to be the Lamb of God and they knew that they needed a perfect final Lamb and they understood when they called him the Christ, they were calling him the perfect Lamb of God. They understood that he died on the cross as the the payment for their sin. That's what Calvary was about and they, they maybe had that still etched in their memory but they understood the blood that ran out, the altar was there, was for their own sin's sake And God sent Jesus, this man from Nazareth, and he was the lamb, and he died for their sin. That's what they believed. They believed that he was not only the lamb of God who died for their sin, they believed he was also resurrected from the dead, and that's that's the kingpin of this whole thing. They saw him die. We know he's dead, but we believe that he liveth yet again, that he is resurrected from the dead. That is what they believe. He is alive again. They believe he had ascended to heaven. Some of them saw it. They believed he would come again because some of them heard the angels say in the same way that he went, he will come again. And I want you to understand this. This multitude of the church, this congregation of the church, they all believed. Be sure and understand this morning. church is made up not of gawkers. The church is made up not of consumers. The church is made up, listen, not of members. The church is made up of believers and believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is made up of people that say that Jesus, the one from from Nazareth, he is the Lamb of God. He is the Christ. He is the fulfillment of scripture. He is risen again. And the church is made up of believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the church. Let me just help you along if you're not sure. If you're not convinced, fully, totally, crazily, radically convinced in the totality of the truth of Jesus, listen, there's folks who say, well, I like the morals of the church. I like the fellowship of the church. I like the things of the church. I like the families of the church. Listen to me. If you're not wholeheartedly convinced to the truth of Jesus Christ, listen to me, you're not saved and you're not a member of the church. It's not full of gawkers. It's full of believers. The church is full of believers That's a radical thing. That's a radical thing. That that guy's a believer. 
She's a believer. That's a radical thing. Do you understand what they believe? Do you understand what they're saying? It is a radical thing. It's made up of radical believers. Next thing we see in the snapshot is there was radical unity in the church. Radical unity in the church. Now, I want you to listen because I think sometimes we misunderstand this. Verse 32 says, and the congregation. Congregation translates assembly, multitude. Now, listen, or bundle. I like that. The the congregation, the bundle, the, the multitude, the assembly. Now, I want you to notice something here as we get to the end of Acts chapter 4. The church has grown and the church has grown and there have been multitudes, thousands that have been added to the church. Notice here that the church is no longer numbered. The church is no longer counted. Evidently, the multitude got so big and so now we refer to the church not as the 4,000, not as the 5,000, not as the 120. We refer to the church as the bundle, the bundle. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now, this is, this is awesome. This is, this is deep. I want you to get this. Heart. They were of one heart. This bundle, it's one heart. The root word is for feeling. They, they were of, of one feeling, one heart. Soul means breath. Now, listen to the the depth of the the riches of these words. One breath, another translation, an identity. The part that gives a thing or makes the thing an individual. Your personality, your soul, the, the identity, the part that makes you not like everybody else. They had one breath. They had one identity. Another translation says one mind. They shared the thoughts. They shared the mind and the direction of the mind. The Bible says these believers were of one heart and soul. Now, this is huge. Listen very carefully. This is huge. It doesn't mean that they get along with each other. Sometimes we think, well, they, they were tremendously unified. It doesn't mean they always got along with each other. It doesn't mean they tolerated each other. Sometimes people say, well, I don't know about them. I can tolerate them. Maybe a little bit longer. They won't stay long. It doesn't mean tolerating. It doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It's way more than that. It means more than that. It, it actually, and I want you to see this, it actually means this bundle of folks had become one and their feelings had become one, and their breath had become one, and their identity had become one, and their minds were the same, and their souls and their identities, all of this, they were the same. All of these people, all of these people, all of these individuals were now this one bundle, and they were unified as the bundle. Now, I read that, and I go, how in the world has that ever happened? People, have y'all figured this out? People are crazy. People are, people are, man, you think you know them and then they go a different direction. You can't guess. People are hard to understand. How in the world do they say all of the multitude became this one bundle? 
different ages, different backgrounds, different, different likes, different dislikes. How does that ever happen? Listen to me, hear this. How does that ever happen? It is because, listen, of their radical faith. They were all believers. Understand this. If you actually believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Christ. If you believe he died for your sin and he paid for every sin and sin is paid for, if you actually believe that he lives again, I saw him dead, but he lives again. If you actually believe that, who cares if you like them? Who cares if they like you? We're united in our faith in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not a about that anymore. That's unity. That's unity. Listen, that we so love Jesus that the rest becomes insignificant. Well, they upset me a couple years back. Who cares? Well, I don't like their personality. We're like this all the time. Who cares? It's all about Jesus in this radical church. Here's something simple. Do you know how to get along better with people? There's probably books written on that. I don't know. Someone mailed me one, I, I bet. Do you know how to get along with people? Love Jesus more. Love Jesus more. Love Jesus more. And I want to tell you something. When you start loving Jesus more and you start reading about Jesus and you start seeing his character and you start saying, I'm so not worthy of my salvation and I'm such a mess, I'm such an affront to him and yet he loves me. When you start loving Jesus more and when y'all start loving Jesus more and when y'all start loving Jesus more, you know what? Those things melt away and you have a bundle of a congregation. Start loving Jesus more. They had a radical unity, one heart and one soul. So next we see, they had a radical faith. They were all believers. They had a radical unity. Next thing is this. Man, this is something. They had a radical commitment to the group. Now, this is more than unity. They had a radical commitment to the group. Let me read the end of verse 32 and then verses 34 and 35. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to them was his own, but all things were common property to them. 34 and 35. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. Verse 35. And lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, I want you to stay with me. This is kind of hard to walk through. Let's, let's just see it. This is not a call for communal living. Now, there were some groups a couple decades back said, well, we'll, we'll just have a commune. We'll, we'll hold everything together, and that's what the church will be. It's not a call for communal living. There is no instruction that says sell your things and put it in the treasury of the church and live together. That is not a command. That is not an instruction that we find for the church. So don't take that out of these verses. This is rather, this is what they did. This is what they did. Seeing where they were at, this is what they did. 
It was voluntary. Nope, nobody got up and said, hey, go do these things. It was what they did. It was their heart. They chose voluntarily to do these things. Now, here's what we see as we move through the verses. In verse 32, they actually considered themselves as this bundle. All these folks, they considered themselves as this bundle. So much so that in verses 34 and verse 35, they sell their houses and they sell their lands and they take that money and they take it to the church, to the apostles, and they provide for those in need in their congregation, in the bundle. The church now, understand, is now tens of thousands of people. That's not a small thing anymore. And, and tens of thousands of people, it can actually say this, and not one was needy. Now what that means is by doing this, they removed any distraction in the church. They removed anybody from saying, you know what, I can't serve because I'm starving to death over here. I don't have clothes for my food. All of these 10,000s of people and not one was in need. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see their level of commitment. You see, if you bring money to the church, that is great. That is a help. Praise the Lord for that. That is a, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a faithful person. If you bring the tithe of your income to the church, that is great. That's a good thing. That, that's a reflective of a faithful person. That's a, that's a great help if you bring your tithe to the church. But if you sold the farm, you sold your means of future income. Basically, you sold your future. You took all that you had and you leveraged your future for the cause of the church. Now, that's what it means. They, they began to sell their, their farms, their houses, their lands, and they were saying, you know what? I see the cause and my heart is so burning with this group of people and the cause of Jesus Christ that you know what? I don't have much anyway for the future. Nothing's gonna outlast this anyway. And however big the farm was, however big the wealth was, you know what? I am more committed to this group. They were radically committed to the group. You know what? I will sell the future to support the group. Now go with me right here. It's not about money. Now that is what they did, but it's not about money. It is about radical commitment to the group. It is about radical commitment. Do we have this one mind? We have this one mind, and I think more than that, overshadowing all of it, we have this, this one mission, and we, we believe with our one mind, and we believe in a risen Savior, Jesus, and we believe how important the mission is, and we are radically committed to the church. We're committed to the bundle. We're committed to the group. We understand all that's in the balance. We understand all that's at stake, and they are radically committed to the church. Get this, as the world turns on the church, let me tell you, brother, they are. 
as the world turns on the church, as Satan and the culture starts to say, you know what, it's time to finish off the church. As the politicians say, you know what, they need to turn to the government and not turn to the church and our laws are gonna reflect this. As, as the world says, you know what, our morality will come from what, what we think and what we feel and we're not going to the truth of the church. As Satan and the culture decide that it's time to stomp out the church to be done with this messed up church, it's gonna take people radically committed to the group, radically committed to the bundle, radically committed to the church if we're ever going to endure. World's coming for the church. Can't let it stand. It's so opposed to the message of the world. They're coming for the church. And if we're ever going to endure, it's going to be because there were people that bulled their neck and drove down their feet and they stood committed to the church of Jesus Christ. Friends, Satan's got us here. He's got us here. 2019, he's got us He's got us on this point. Today, people commit to everything. We commit to everything. We commit to this and we commit to that and we sign up for that and we say, you know what, this isn't important and we prioritize that. We commit to everything. People talk about, you know what, I, I, I need some time to sit down. I need some time to rest. I got this and I got this and I got this and I got that. And that means you're a big deal. And that means you're doing things in this culture. And we commit to everything. And if there's anything left, maybe we'll bring it to the church. That's 2019. We commit to everything. And if there's anything left, I'll weak and I'll cry and I'll bring it to the church. Listen, that's not gonna stand in these days. They were radically committed to the church. They leveraged everything for the group. I'm gonna tell you, it's not a punishment to set some stuff down. It's not a punishment to say, you know what, there's, there's one thing that matters, the gospel of Christ. And to say, you know what, I, I'm gonna see what they did and radically go all in in my commitment to the church. Next thing we see, fourth thing we see, they were radically committed to the group. Next thing, there was ra a radical message in the church. There was radical preaching in the church, a radical message in the church. Verse 33 and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Man, we ought to underline that. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They are powerfully giving testimony. That, that translates, they are bearing witness to. They are proclaiming the truth of. It literally means they are testifying. They are testifying. They are coming and they're saying, let me tell you about Jesus, the Nazarene, who is the Messiah. Let me tell you about his death for sin. Let me tell you that he lives yet again. They are testifying to the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. 
testifying to Jesus, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They're testifying, the Bible says, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is his name. Jesus is the specific man from, from Nazareth. Lord is his title. He is the Lord. There's a lot tied to that. His resurrection, the resurrection, there's so much in that. That is his gospel, really, that he died for sin. Yes, he died. Yes, he is actually physically dead, but he is alive now. He is resurrected. Listen, they are powerfully preaching the gospel of a resurrected Savior, Jesus. Remember this. This is the exact thing they were commanded not to do. You remember that? Verse 18 says, we command you not to preach or teach any longer in the name of Jesus. The thing they are doing is the exact same thing. The Sanhedrin said, listen, we'll kill you. This is not an empty threat. The thing they're doing is the exact thing that they were told not to do. There's not going to be any more of that. Verse 29, remember that as we move to the verses, they prayed for boldness. God, see their threats, be aware of their threats, give us boldness. And now they preach in great power. Ooh, church, get this. Ooh, church, be, be sure of this. I want you to see this. This is so important. This is so, so important as we try to figure out what the church is about. Be sure and see this. Understand this. What makes the church dangerous is the same thing that makes it powerful. What makes the church hated is the same thing that makes the church powerful. What makes the church unique and radical, no longer fitting in, is the same thing that makes the church powerful. What makes the church ridiculed and persecuted, it is the same thing that makes the church powerful. What makes the church the church? What makes us not a club? What makes us not the university? What makes the church the church is the powerful preaching of the gospel of a resurrected Savior, Jesus. That's what makes the church the church. What do we do in the church? We preach the gospel. Where do we do it? We do it everywhere we go. What is the mission of the church? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're unique. We preach the gospel. Be sure of this. Because it's not, it's not being proclaimed. Be sure of this is not being lived out. The church only has one message. Do you know that? Church doesn't have five messages. Church doesn't have 10 messages. Well, I like this message. Church doesn't have 10 messages. The church only has one message, and that is the gospel of our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me, let me give you some advice. You ever leave here? You ever move somewhere? You ever go somewhere else? And you wonder, how am I going to find a church? And there's, <laughs> there's, there's lists of things, and there's all sorts of stuff you can look at. How are we ever going to find a church? How am I going to find a church? I, I moved to Dallas. I moved to Lubbock. I moved to Houston. We moved to Kansas City. How am I ever going to find a church? How are we ever going to find a church let me give you some advice. You find a church 
that radically, faithfully, truthfully preaches Jesus. And you found your church. That's the message of the church, the truth of the gospel of a resurrected Savior, Jesus. We have one message. We have one mission, the proclamation of that message. That is the message of the church. And so this radical church has a radical faith, has a radical unity. They become one bundle. There's a radical commitment to the group. They leverage their future for it. There is a radical message in the church. And the last thing we see in this church, there is a radical power for it all. Now, don't miss that. There is a radical power for it all. Verse 33. Last of the verse. And abundant grace was upon them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them. Abundant grace is a very interesting thing. Grace is God's provision. God's grace. God's strength. God's empowerment. It is not earned. That's why it's called, called grace. Abundant grace was available to them. Now, abundant is the word overflowing. It's like if you need 10 and there's 12. If you need 100, there's 120. It is, it is abundant. It is overflowing. Now, here's what the church looks like. Here's the church, and they have a radical belief, and they have a radical unity, and there's a radical commitment to each other, and there is a radical message being preached in the church, and here's what God does for that church. If you need this much grace, you're going to have this much, and if you need this much grace, you're going to have that much, and if you think this building full of grace is enough grace, go outside the parking lot full of grace too. Abundant, overflowing grace. If this is the empowerment you need, this is the empowerment you're going to get an abundant, abundant, abundant grace is available for that church. Here's what I know. God blesses a radical church. It is, listen, it's his power. It's not us. It's not the preacher. It's not the deacons. It's not the members. It is him. It is his power. It is his work. Listen, that's the whole deal with the coming of the Holy Spirit. He empowers it. He enables it. And I want you to be sure of this. God blesses a radical church. We are in the end times. There is so much on the line. Eternities are on the line. And I wonder this morning, what would it take for the church of Jesus Christ to awaken out of this slumber and to stand with great resolve? Hear this warning this morning. Heed this call this morning. It's time. It's time. Jesus is coming again very soon. It's time. Your neighbors will perish outside of Christ. It's time. Nothing else is going to outlast the grave. Nothing else is going to matter for eternity. It's time. Nothing else is going to bring as much glory to him. It's time. 
Nothing else is going to matter that you could have done with your life. If you're a a young person, if you're a college student, if you're a middle-aged adult, if you're an older adult, listen, nothing else will point glory to him like this. Nothing else will have mattered. Listen to me. It is time. It is time. It is time. Let the church be his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come. And the first thing I do, Lord, is I just tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry for the mess we make in churches. Sorry for the distraction we have in our lives. Sorry for the priorities that we set ahead of you, Lord. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Forgive us, forgive us. And you do, and you do. But Lord, I pray on this Sunday morning, don't leave us there, don't leave us there. Help us leave with an urgency that burns in our bones. Help us to prioritize. Help us to to live. Help us to lead with eternity in our mind. Lord, help us to know it's time. It's past time. Help us to be that church. Help us to be urgent. Help us to be committed to your church. Help us to be faithful to the gospel. Help us to matter for your namesake. Lord, I I pray for any here that do not know you. And I pray that's the point to all this. You're patient and kind, desiring not that one would perish. I pray that today in in the message of the church, they would hear the message of the gospel. Christ died for sinners. That's why he came. And that today they would put their faith in you. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for some, somebody here today. Speak to them. Lord, I pray that in all of this that you be glorified. And I pray that in all of this as you... Tarry a little bit longer. I pray that this church, this church, Calvary Baptist Church, would be faithful, would stand up, would march, would preach, would teach, would glorify you. Help us in that. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.